Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Rank Up, a fortnightly on-page SEO podcast where we talk about technical SEO, content optimization, search engine news and much more. I'm one of your hosts, Ben Gary, and I am joined once again by my regular co-host, Ed Wilson. You doing all right, Ed? Yeah, good. Thanks, Ben. Uh, been involved while working on an international project this week, which has been pretty intense. So this is kind of a, a welcome break to get away, <laughs> get away from that at the moment. Uh, and I'm also, I think it's this guest that we've got today, Helen, is someone that we've been really excited about getting on the podcast. I know we've for the past few months we've been, you know, a key priority is trying to get Helen on the podcast, and it's something. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting discussion um, around the topics today. Definitely. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. Well, with with that introduction, Helen, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm not too bad. Thanks for having me. And uh, Ed, you checks in the post. <laughs> if, if only we earned any more money from doing it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm good. It's my podcast debut, though. So yeah, thanks for having me on. I know. Welcome. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, it's always handy for, for Ed and I to have someone else to bounce ideas off. So it's not just us talking in a I, say, I was going to say in a room every month, but we're not in a room, of course, because we're still recording remotely. Um, but anyway, moving on, because we've talked about lockdown enough in this podcast. Um, I will, uh, I'll just give a quick, quick little bit of intro and then we'll hear a bit more about you, Helen. Um, so just to say, if you listened to last month's episodes, you would have heard this already, but we're now releasing our episodes in a shorter format, uh, roughly every fortnight, although we've already had some issues with... Um, Ed's editing software on his Mac, which meant we've been slightly delayed already. Um, but the plan is to do an episode of about 45 minutes every fortnight, um, which means that this episode being the first one of the month uh, will be our top stories episode, um, which is where we've each picked uh, an article from the last few weeks that we like the look of. Uh, and we will cover that as a bit of a discussion topic to uh, cover a few different areas of on-page SEO and make sure we're staying current with the most recent news. But before we get into that, let's hear a little bit more about you, Helen. So you are an SEO executive at Impression, but I don't think that quite tells the the whole story. So can you give us a a kind of a brief snapshot of uh, what you do now, uh, what your background is at Impression? um, And then we'll, we'll hear a lot more about that in the next episode, but it'd be good to hear a bit now. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, I've been at Impression for about three and a half years now, I think. Um, I joined straight out of university, but um, I actually originally joined yeah, as part of the PPC team. So yep. I was PPC executive for a couple of years. And then it was about 18 months ago, I made the switch to join the SEO team. So, yeah, nowadays I tend to focus probably more on the on-page side of things rather than the off-page, which is good for this podcast. Yes. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, I mean, anything where I can kind of get my teeth stuck into a bit of data is uh, usually goes down well with me. I remember speaking to you in the probably the earlier days of your SEO career uh, as you were experiencing digital PR for the first time. Uh, and I remember you not being a huge fan of that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I kind of knew that would be the case a bit, I think. But um, yeah, I think I think it's, it's almost a different skill set and it's yeah. not I particularly enjoy. Yeah, well, it's, it's good to try it all and it's important to have a background for SEO. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, we will find out a lot more about that uh, in the next episode um, because you've got quite a unique position in Impression with um, the career that you've taken uh, and have quite a unique perspective on the integration between PPC and SEO as a result of that. And that was one of the reasons why we were keen to have you on. Um, but for this one, we are going to stick to the top stories, as I said. Uh, and we're going to start with a quick little icebreaker question, which, Helen, you've really brought on yourself. Um, <laughs> 
Because for, for those listening, Helen is often sending me random little questions to ask the guests in our previous weeks. Uh, and she did the first few times in just completely oblivious to the fact that she would soon be a guest herself. Um, and now has to answer one of the questions that she's sent in. So Helen was the one who encouraged us to do the snog, marry, avoid questions, which you heard a couple of with Chloe's episode, if you listened a few, a few weeks ago. Um, and now that's going to come back for Helen as well. So today the question is snog, marry, avoid, Google Sheets, Google Docs, or Google Hangouts? <laughs> See, when I suggested these questions, I thought they'd be like a nice little icebreaker to get people into podcasting. And now I'm just kind of like, oh, no. Um, <laughs> now you realise they're terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously I'm going to marry Sheets. I think anyone who knows me knows that's going to be my answer. Hmm. Um, I think probably... I don't mind hangouts, but I think four months into lockdown, I'm kind of sick of the, you know, you're on mute. And yeah. for some reason, I started like awkwardly waving at the end of calls, which I really need to get out of the habit of. So I'm probably <laughs> going to avoid hangouts for that. Um, and then, yeah, what's left? Google Docs. Docs. Yeah. Docs. Yeah. Well, yeah, Snob Docs. Why not? <laughs> well, you, you mentioned there for anyone who knows you that you would uh, you would marry Google Sheets. Oh, yeah. um, can you just give a give a little bit more sort of background for those that maybe haven't haven't heard you before uh, or seen what you've been doing? Um, why is it that you you immediately gravitated towards Sheets like that? Um, because I don't like maths and I can make Sheets do maths for me a lot of the time. <laughs> um, probably the one right, answer. Answer. Yeah. Well, I mean, I start, started I've seen PPC, so I think I've always kind of had that background with using Sheets a lot, and then yeah, I think. I mean, obviously, this will kind of come up in the next episode, but kind of moving over to SEO, and I think I you naturally use Sheets for a lot more situations than maybe a traditional SEO does. So I've yes. found myself in that role quite a lot more, and I think when you find yourself in that role, you find loads more opportunities to use it and kind of see the full potential of it. So, yeah, I could wax lyrical about Sheets all day. It's great. <laughs> well, I think that was the other main reason that I think actually Ed rather than the integration side, it was actually that that you first mentioned, Ed, that it would be good to hear about because... Uh, yeah. I know Helen, you've brought a lot of kind of different processes and different ideas to SEO and, and made us a bit more efficient in our mm -hmm. use of Google Sheets. Oh yeah. Um, Ed, I'll, I'll come quickly to you with that. Would you change anything? Sheets, Docs, Hangouts? No, I, I'd. I mean, I'm a big fan of Docs because I work on a lot of like audit documents. Um, mm -hmm. But I think Sheets are probably more essential. So I'd probably have that long-term commitment to sheets uh, because they are my preference to display my work. Um, and then exactly with Helen, um, although the, you know, they've been quite useful for communicational purposes, but yeah, it's, I think I'm done with uh, video conference software for 2020 at least. Yeah. I think uh, I, I agree with you, Ed, the way round. I, as much as I do enjoy working on sheets, and there's something quite satisfying about putting a good sheet together. Mm. Uh, as a content specialist, I really have to marry docs because mm. if I can't write my blog posts, then what am I in this world? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on from that, we, we won't dwell on that too much longer. Um, we do now have our main top stories segment. And uh, I think it's fair to say we've got some quite an interesting collection um, of articles to go through today. So I'm keen to make sure we've got enough time to talk about them all. Uh, and we're going to start with you, Ed, because you've got one that is uh, pretty hot off the press mm -hmm. uh, for SEO in general, at least at the time of recording. By the time this is out, it will have been a couple of weeks. Uh, but can you introduce your article for us? Yes, yeah, certainly. So as you mentioned, it came out, I think, this morning, or at least I saw the... Um, the kind of tweets about it. Um, I'd say I saw a lot of critical tweets about it, although there was, I think, some praise from it, especially from the likes of John Mueller and 
so forth. But um, yeah, it's uh, eventually uh, essentially on gov.uk. They published um, a search engine optimization for data publishers and their best practice guide. I'm not sure if this is for like internal use or just for general the general public. Um, yeah. But it basically lists a best practice guide um, and. And to be honest, there's I feel like the uh, recommendations that they have put into this are pretty reasonable. I mean, they're obviously quite basic because I think it's it's supposed to be for an audience that isn't familiar with search engine optimization. But everything that I see, I mean, I think they could do the better on the wording um, from certain aspects, but I don't think it's bad. And I think it's it did face initially a lot of criticism from uh, a lot of SEOs on Twitter. But then I think, again, most recently you've got John Mueller you know, voice of Google really coming out and saying, no, actually, these are reasonable. And I definitely agree with him there. I think they yeah. do make some good points and like things such as like removing old <laughs> identify they're basically touch upon like search identifying search intent, removing out of date right. pages and things like that. So stuff that you know is very relevant to today's SEO as well. So um yeah I thought it would be good to bring to the table just because I thought it was yeah quite relevant and also there's been, I guess, two sides of people saying, no, it's useful, and some people just kind of uh, slightly ripping into it, I guess. Yeah. I guess to, to get into it a bit more, would you mind just, um, so you don't have to do all 12 of them, but, mm. uh, summarize some of the recommendations and, and comment on the ones that you think are sort of particularly helpful or, or any, if you, I don't know if you did have any sort of queries or, or issues with any of it, but, but maybe any that you're a bit more cautious on? Yeah, I mean, there was things that just like avoid special characters um, where these are not displayed correctly, which I, I guess is a given, but may not be um, maybe useful um, for certain um, people. But I think um, it's they've they've recommended to use tools and tests to understand users, so actually focus on user and what they actually want. So they've even yeah. Google Analytics and Search Console, or there are equivalents. So I think that's. Um, I think that's beneficial for anyone kind of new to SEO or not familiar with SEO. They've mentioned yeah. about using tools to best identify the keywords. Um, so which keywords are most popular among your target audience or the identifying the most competitive keywords to specifically target. Um, and yeah, and essentially then saying, look, and then look to apply this across site-wide. So applying these recommendations to all of your pages. So mm. kind of using it as a blueprint and then applying it towards the rest of your website. I mean, there are like the initial ones, which I guess SEOs learn at the start of the career, like keeping page titles no longer yeah. their specific length. But I think that's important information to give. And I think like, yeah, yeah it contains very basic information, but it also recommends things that we do on a day-to-day -day basis of you know using tools to understand users and things like that yeah i mean i've put that exact same recommendation in content audits to clients like it's yeah, yeah i did written basically the same guide for someone last week are people seriously just kicking off because they think it's too basic I, th I think so. I think, and like I said, they keep referring it to like like having a heavy emphasis on metadata and things like that. And like I said, I think in certain sentences, they've probably worded it in the wrong way, but like, yeah. I don't think it matters for someone being introduced to search engine optimization. I just think there's a maybe a, a tiny bit of a gatekeeping within the SEO industry. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's okay. I think it's, I think it's quite useful actually. Well, I think you touched on it there that it seems to have quite a specific target audience because I mean, when I first saw this, I was a little bit confused because it's clearly aimed at these data companies, mm. kind of government data companies, and maybe uh, maybe some third parties as well. But I can see why they focused on certain things. Um, 
because these kind of reports that they're optimizing, it's not like you're writing a 1,000 word blog post where you need to sort out the heading structure and the internal links and the keyword targeting and all that. Because at most, you've just got an abstract and then a report link. So, you know, what more can you do on page, really? I think actually the metadata is a pretty important part. It's probably the only bit that a lot of these marketers can influence. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, like I said, I think it's a, it's a useful document. Um, I'm not too sure why it has drawn criticism, but I guess we'll see if it, um, if they look to expand upon it, um, especially. I wonder if they're eventually going to link towards <laughs> resources on that. That would be pretty cool, but yeah. pretty sure the government won't do that. I mean, my other question that I had around it, which was just the, the way they've worded how they've gathered this information, it's kind of like this big research project. Yeah. Um, and I'm just, I mean, there's probably no answer that we're going to get, but I'm just very curious as to what that involved because they said, um, what is it? The recommendations are based on research carried out by the GO6, which is this big conglomerate of six big companies on behalf of the Geospatial Commission for the Data Discovery Project. While the project was focused on geospatial data, the principle set out below can be applied to any kind of data and data publisher. It's it's so niche, and yet they just hint at this massive research thing. And I just wonder, like, was yeah. that research like the Moz? <laughs> was it like going on Moz and looking at the beginners guy? What does it actually involve? I wonder if it, it it could be a testing of like implementation. But what I would say is maybe they've done it on a, a government based website where they've done these things and they've just purely you know done well from a of it being on a government website and therefore can pretty much rank for anything if you put it in the page title and h1 or something like that so um that could be something that they've done to kind of test things yeah i mean helen i don't know how much you've looked at this but did you have any other thoughts or anything stand out to you from looking at it yeah i mean i read over the guide i haven't seen kind of a lot of this controversy on twitter or anything so i don't really know why people are annoyed about it but mm. I mean to be honest from my perspective as long as you're making your recommendations accessible for anyone mm -hmm. to use I don't know why people would be annoyed about that and I think yeah you touched on it a bit saying it's almost a bit gatekeepery mm. but I do think that's an issue that the SEO industry does have mm. um, so I, I don't I don't know why you would have a negative reaction to this when yeah if you can distill the information down in a way that is this simple and can be explained to someone who has no exposure to SEO and they can still implement it really well. Surely that's what we're kind of trying to do on our day-to-day -day basis with our clients anyway. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think this is, something like this is never going to replace the kind of work that an agency does anyway. I mean, no one doubts that agencies are offering a, a more specialized SEO service. Um, but that, I, I don't think that would ever replace the basics like this. I mean, I mean, stuff like this, I would, I would expect sort of anyone who owns a website really to be able to access and do they, you don't need to work with an agency to be able to do this much. It's just if you want to go that next step, and you have the budget, then then you look a bit deeper, and you need a different kind of sort of different information for that. Yeah, it's really not intended to be kind of an advanced resource. It's almost more just a list of pitfalls to avoid, which I think, yeah, you know, have its place in the world. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing that is certainly in the main recommendations. I don't know about the particular wording but there's nothing that's actually going to be misleading in here is there if you do these 12 things you're not going to have a website in a worse position no no awesome well thank you for that ed uh, that was a really interesting one and yeah a bit of a strange one for the twitter controversy that came up it's probably the kind of thing that without the controversy we might not even be talking about it um but it's uh it's good to have a look at as well and uh see what's i guess see a bit of an insight into how seo is portrayed outside of our little agency bubbles um but I think speaking of some of the, the kind of more advanced stuff going on in SEO and some of the 
maybe more sort of controversial stuff. Uh, Helen, uh, you have an article for us about Google EAT. Yeah, I um, I saw a Mos in a whiteboard Friday with Cyrus Shepherd, and it was um, yeah. is Google T Google EAT actually a ranking factor? Um, which was quite interesting because I mean, if you kind of watch the video or read the post, actually, I'm not going to say the title's misleading, but actually, the, the content it is more around what actually are how you define a ranking factor. Yes, and then I kind of that. can EAT be categorized within that, depending on what your definition of a ranking factor is. So, sure. I mean, kind of as he he goes through, you know, it says kind of a lot of the disagreement is what what are the criteria for a ranking factor and there's sort of these three different um, categories that he kind of breaks down sort of the obviously the traditional ranking factor that's you know directly measurable that's mm. obviously a direct impact on your rankings which um yeah i mean i guess you can't really say that google eat would be a ranking factor with that because i, mean, mm. I don't know if anyone's seen any direct impact from it i if think anything, it, oh, sorry, sorry i was just gonna say i think it's also eat is just not a it's a group of things, isn't it? I think he makes that yeah. point that it's so many things. It's not like page rank is a single score, whereas EAT, as far as we know, doesn't have that kind of thing. No. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then I think, yeah, if you, if you look at kind of the other definitions that are put forward as, you know, potentially what is a ranking factor, if you say that it's not something that isn't going to have a direct impact, but it could be something which, you know, the algorithm is modelling for or, you know, mm. indirectly rewarding, which I think I probably fall into this camp because... I think if you if you look at the algorithm and how much we hear about how you know no one actually knows what the algorithm yeah. is, you know it's it's got to be taken into account, especially if you look at the emphasis that Google has been putting on EAT over the past you know year or so with all the quality rates guidelines that have come out, all the emphasis that's you know, been kind of put all over Twitter and John Mueller and things like that. Mm. I think it, it, it's almost. I don't know how anyone can say that it's definitely not a ranking factor if you were mm. to look at it from that perspective, because it's it's definitely got to be involved to some degree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I think that that's the other one which is a bit more out there. So the idea that any action that you take, whether it has direct or indirect effects, that could increase your rankings could be considered a ranking factor. Mm -hmm. Which I think I think the example that's given is like social media shares. So obviously that's not going to directly impact anything, but the more shares mm. you get. The more content you might get, the more links you might get. It's kind of like you know three jumps away from what a traditional ranking factor probably would be considered to be. Mm. So I don't yeah. think I'd quite get on board with that. I think I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of those. That I really liked in this article how they, as you mentioned, Helen, these kind of given like a level of like directly measurable uh, and then modelled and rewarded. And I think it's also one of these things where it can be heightened based on the industry. I think um, me and Ben discussed this with Pete in kind of the first episode of the, the podcast is that, yes, it's an, a, an important thing that should be focused on. Um, but again, it, it will be always heightened or decreased based on um, the industry that you're working on. If you're searching mm -hmm. like a, a best guide for running trainers, I don't think Google put a heavy emphasis on making sure everything like is like super correct in terms of what that article is writing about. I, that I could be incorrect saying that, but um, if someone there or on the other hand is searching for an illness or something like that, then clearly there's something in play where Google just looked to identify the quality content and making sure there's that, that assurance we it would be like doctored being recommended in the content or something like that. Um, I think it, it's it's always going to be a consideration now for a lot of um, search results, but I think across many, there's certain ones that are going to be, you know, it has to be, 
you know, a major consideration. Whereas for some elements of content as well, yes, there there needs to be some element of making sure that you're, you know, <laughs> providing actual correct information. But I don't think you'll be that, you know, targeted and you know, fact checked or anything like that. Mm. I think it's interesting that you kind of brought up the medical stuff because in the article it kind of references um, some research. I think it was Lily Ray did mm. um, talking about kind of which sites tend to benefit the most. And actually, if you look at medical queries yeah. often the sites which benefit the most are the ones where it's clearly been written by a real expert yeah. Yeah. as opposed to us common lowly seos um <laughs> but yeah. and i think the other interesting point if you look at that um alongside the fact that you know google are developing patents that are you know looking to determine expertise based on a certain set of vectors you know yeah. why would google bother investing in all of that if they weren't going to use it in the algorithm that doesn't make any yeah. sense to me yeah, definitely. I think with like most medical websites now, when we see like these um, algorithm reports, all you see most of the time is medical websites flying up or medical websites going down. I think yeah. any art, I think any publication in this uh, in this area that wants to rank well, it just has to have that as a baseline requirement. You see, like the the impact, well, the the effort that Healthline have done with like their accreditation and the content quality of that, everything is just fact checked. So that's just, I think, a baseline requirement. But then again, as mentioned, I think there's a lot of articles out there that rank well that are just on, like, I guess, hobby topics or something that rank really well, but don't need that kind of degree of fact-checking if this water gun is the best in 2020 or something like that. Yeah. Well, it's not going to cause... Well, actually, the water gun example might, but most of those aren't <laughs> going to cause you physical harm if they get it wrong. <laughs> no, no. Which I guess is that's what's Google, what Google's getting at, isn't it, with the your money, your life? Um, yeah. And they've addressed that in the documentation, right? They've mentioned around certain, I guess, sectors that are like under more scrutiny based on this. Mm. Um, and I think that eventually they'll probably try and scale it across, you know, uh, where they can, like, especially with like e-commerce websites. I think, yes, they'll have yeah. a different understanding um, the reputation of certain stores with reviews and, you know, returns and things like that. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, just thinking anecdotally, the conversation I've, I had with, I was having with friends just this weekend, actually. So kind of exciting conversations I have in my spare time. Um, but we were, we were talking about when you, when you're shopping online, which I guess has become more of a thing for, for all of us during lockdown, really, if the trends are anything to go by. Um, we still, in, in many cases, will stick to the brands that we know and we're hesitant to try uh, to try new websites. And, and I kind of made the point that actually a lot of the clients that we work with, those kind of mid-sized businesses, tend to be those names that people haven't necessarily heard of as household names. But, you know, from working with them, we know that they're legitimate businesses and trustworthy and just sort of just trying to do the right thing and compete with your Amazons and your Argoses of the world. Mm -hmm. um, and I think for sites like that, it, it makes sense that Google's going to prioritize EAT because these are really... Surely these are just the signals that say to people, you know, you can spend your money on a site like that and you're going to get you're going to get a service at the end of it. It's not just going to go into a black hole of someone's bank account somewhere. Yeah. Um, so it's a completely logical thing for Google to want to prioritize. And I think completely ignoring it because it's not this kind of nailed on direct ranking factor like page rank. Um, I, I think that's a pretty dangerous route, especially if you're thinking about the long term health of sites like these. Definitely. Yeah. I think we spoke especially when you bring up like you know the mid-sized businesses we work with because one of the other points that's made in it is how do you actually communicate the value of eat to your client you know if you want to put forward yeah. and time you know working towards things that you think will benefit it but i think yeah actually you kind of got to frame it almost as 
a secondary goal that you're working towards rather than something that you can necessarily optimize to an exact science so mm. the, the way i try and frame it is almost you know it's even if this doesn't turn out to be something which is a ranking factor it's, it's all best practice anyway and it's all good mm -hmm. for the user and especially if you are coming into the market and you're not necessarily the go-to competitor you need to have all those things on your site anyway just from a ux perspective mm. yeah that's a good point actually I feel like a lot of this started maybe a couple of years ago with uh, HTTPS when Google really mm. started cracking down on that and it it became a ranking factor and also we started seeing the the not secure warnings for HTTP sites mm -hmm. uh, and I feel like that was almost the first kind of one of these where we started saying to clients you really need this and even if it wasn't a ranking factor it was the case where you might have a poor user experience if you don't have it uh, and like you said there Helen you can so the SEO stuff is a benefit, but actually you just want to convince those new users to, to trust you in the first place. And all of this helps with that. Uh, you know, like thinking, Even if it's not something that's necessarily going to get you more traffic, it's certainly going to make more of your existing traffic. Yeah. And as long as you can manage expectations in that way, I think it's, there's definitely ways that we can build it into a completely legitimate SEO strategy. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of customers, are, also a lot of clients are kind of naturally bought into that kind of thing anyway. I think a lot yeah. of a lot of business owners recognize the value there and, and they, you know, everyone wants to uh, to have more converting customers. So why wouldn't they? <laughs> cool. Should we go to the final article then for this episode, um, which is I'm, I'm going to sort of shamelessly plug an impression article here because uh, it was done by a member of our PPC team. Um, and I thought it was quite interesting to discuss in an SEO context um, because Nathan, who is the, uh, the PPC executive impression who wrote it, uh, didn't write it with SEO in mind in particular, um, but he kind of talks through a principle which we'll look at here, which I think could be quite could be quite interesting for us. Um, so the article is called uh, Keyword Performance Report Google Ads Script. Uh, like all of the articles we talk about, we'll make sure it's linked in the show notes for you. Um, but Nathan's essentially introducing a script that he's created for Google Ads campaigns um, to allow you to identify where uh, where a lot of your the value is coming from and where you're getting most revenue. Uh, which kind of keywords are providing the most the most conversions or revenue for your website. Um, but before he introduces the script itself, he introduces the principle that it's based on, which is uh, the 80-20 principle, uh, which he also says is sometimes called the Pareto principle. Um, it's something that I think when I read it, I was like, that sounds vaguely familiar, but I hadn't really sort of thought about it in, I don't know, a long time or ever really learned about it. Um, but the principle, simply put, as he writes it, is 80% of the outputs come from 20% of the inputs. Um, so in PPC, he's looking for the 20% of search queries that result in 80% of your conversions or your revenue. Uh, and he also lists another kind of gem few general examples, like 20% of criminals commit 80% of crimes, uh, or 20% of pods produce 80% of peas. Um, and he, no he notes a few other examples that say, you know, it's not with these trends, it's not always an exact 80 to 20 split, but it's usually close enough. Uh, and he says there are some natural phenomena that have been listed that follow this, like word frequency in languages. So presumably 20% of the words are used 80% of the time. Uh, and even the diameter of craters on the moon apparently fit a Pareto distribution. So it's this, it's this well-established thing. Uh, people may have heard it or, or sort of come across it in other contexts. Uh, I just thought it was interesting to apply to SEO because although we're not bidding on keywords, uh, we may still have the same kind of thing where 80% of our conversions are coming from, I don't know, 20% of our products or 20% of our um, our keyword rankings or landing pages or whatever it is. I think there's probably a few ways you could slice it. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I just found myself really boiling it down to, you know, are we focusing enough on where the value in our campaign and our SEO campaigns is actually coming from? Um, and I wanted to kind of, yeah, throw it out to you guys. See, do you think this is a useful principle? Could you, could you see how this could be applied even just as a sort of guiding force in our work? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're talking, I mean, you mentioned kind of about, you know, different products and things like that. I think, I mean, that just highlights the case for bringing in external data sources, even when you're just looking at kind of SEO performance, not just yeah. relying on things like, you know, your analytics performance or search console, but actually looking at your product margins and things like that. Yeah. Because if you are going to be reliant on, you know, 20% of your products to deliver 80% of your revenue or whatever, you want to make sure it's certainly going to be the right 20% um, that you've got available. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Hmm. Were you going to say something as well, Ed? Sorry. Yeah, I was just going to mention, I think this this like highlights a broader topic in terms of understanding the the level of data PPC can get, but also the data that SEO can get. I think there's been so many times uh, across the past few years in the SEO industry, potentially within the PPC industry, where there's some sort of, each person in separate departments is maybe kind of shocked that they're able to get that kind of data that would actually influence um an SEO approach or PPC approach so yeah. I, kind of, I love looking at these kind of things because it's it makes sense to me and it, it's something that I think SEOs would love to jump at but I feel like there's probably a lot of things that SEOs look to analyze with either you know scripts or anything like that that actually can actually have a positive impact for PPC performance as well yeah I mean one thing that's preventing us doing the almost the exact application that Nathan has here is for SEOs, it's a nightmare to see where uh, to, to kind of assign revenue to keywords. Yeah. Um, and to look at it that way, I know we can do it to landing pages easily enough, but mm. it's quite difficult to say improving rankings for this keyword is going to improve revenue by a predictable amount. Um, well, I think I, that's, again, a case there though to bring in external data sources because I mean, if uh, you're if you're talking from an e-commerce perspective anyway, even if you can't get kind of conversion data for the certain keyword through your organic channels, you could always bring in something like your shopping performance and at least yeah. see which terms are converted there. And you know, while obviously the behavior might be slightly different on the different channels, it's certainly a good place to start anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Um, and I think we've, I mean, we've definitely making increasing use of search query reports from PPC um, in in SEO as well to give us a clue as to what kinds of keywords perform. Um, although I'd say we probably still, maybe still don't make as, as kind of widespread a use of it as we could do. Yeah. Um, I now, I realize I am now just straying into the conversation we're likely to have in the next episode anyway. Um, I, I was about to mention it to Helen around what, <laughs> what things um, do you feel have been the most valuable from bringing from <laughs> no, yeah, that, is, that is the, the the trailer isn't it for the second that one. is that is a question on my list so you're not allowed um, to ask that I'm, gonna be I'm trying to answer your questions as well but I can feel myself being like no I need to hold something back <laughs> <laughs> no it's all good well, to, to bring it back to I guess to bring this back to SEO fully I mean we, we're close to wrapping it up anyway um but just other than kind of keywords is there any way that you can see this being useful we talked about product margins do you reckon is there value in this in landing pages or do we need to be more kind of, do we need a wider focus with landing pages that doing something like this would actually harm a strategy? I think there's certainly a role for it in landing pages, even if you were just analyzing the performance to see, well, which are your, you know, the 20% that are driving the performance, because then at least you can isolate those and kind of look at those more from a qualitative perspective and see, well, what yeah. are the common themes between those pages and, you know, what is working versus what isn't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting to see 
maybe with landing pages or even if it's products or something, is this 80% of revenue coming from the places that you want it to come from? Um, Because I think we've all seen it with sites where you'll just get a few pages that really fly, but they're not necessarily the pages that are the the client wants to fly (laughs) for whatever reason. Um, Cool. Well, that's a, it's an interesting um, principle to look at anyway. So uh, as I said, we will drop all of the links for these in the show notes um, including the articles that Ed and Helen have talked about. Um, and I think that will do it for this episode. We've, we've managed to keep it to time, which might be a record for the for the Rank Up podcast. Um, but it's good because it's going to give us plenty of time to jump into the conversations that we were almost having in this episode, uh, where we're going to talk about them in a lot more depth uh, next episode as we hear more from Helen on the insights that she has uh, coming into SEO from PPC. Um, I'm completely going off script here with my own outro, so I'm making it difficult for myself. Um, but I, I think I'll, I'll bring it back with uh, Helen. Uh, in the meantime, uh, where can people find you on Twitter uh, if they want to see what's going on in your digital marketing world? Yeah, I'm on Twitter as at digital underscore Helen. And yeah, basically anything I do, I'll probably retweet on there. Excellent. And I have to say, your Twitter profile is is quite well done. I enjoy your Twitter. <laughs> I, I enjoy looking every time. I'm gonna li- I'm gonna leave that as a reason for people to go and check it out. But it's it's one of the even I'm picking it out now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't get too distracted, Ed, because uh, I was going to say we need to hear your Twitter handle, but I've got it down to readout anyway, so you can go and look at Twitter all you want. Um, So we will, uh, yeah, we will sign off there. And if you have any questions for us uh, or you want to chat to us about SEO at all, uh, you can find me on Twitter at Ben J Gary with two R's, and Ed on Twitter at Ed J T W with two D's. Uh, and if you uh, if you can't wait for your next helping of digital marketing content and want to see more of what's going on in the meantime, uh, Impression uh, always has loads of blogs going live, like the one from Nathan that we spoke about today. Uh, and we're also running several webinars at the moment. I believe by the time this episode is out, it will be around the time that there is a, a fashion webinar going live uh, for, for SEO and PPC. I believe SEO and PPC for fashion e-commerce sites. Uh, and there's likely to be more coming up as well. I think we've got some collaborations going on with the likes of Search Metrics too, which is all really exciting. Um, and we also recommend checking out uh, womenintechseo.com slash speakers uh, as another great way to find some fantastic tech SEO writers and speakers. Uh, Helen, thank you so much for coming on this week. Uh, we look forward... Me. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Um, We look forward to chatting to you more about your own SEO experience next week uh, or in a couple of weeks when we're back um, because I I think we've got a lot of great stuff to dive into there. Uh, Ed, thank you again. As always, you've been a great co-host. And we will see you in a couple of weeks. 